Hey guys, my name is Laura, and I have a new life in Christ, and I'm in recovery from codependency and divorce. Hey guys. Um, As Terry said, I have the privilege of serving in the divorce recovery programs here on campus, and tonight I have the joy and the honor of sharing my story of recovery with you. In 2009, I met the man who I would, um, would later become my husband. He offered all the things that my heart desired. I wanted a family, security in a house with a picket fence, and I laid every hope and dream on this man. He promised the future filled with all the things that I had longed for, or so I thought, and ignoring any concerns from friends or perceived issues from family, we were married in 2011. A few months into marriage, I discovered that my husband was an addict. That realization was devastating. Now, despite that, I was sure that I could fix him. I believed that if I could change his behavior, everything would be okay. So I tried to take him to recovery meetings. We went to small groups, Bible studies, one-on-one counseling, couples counseling. You name it, we tried it. I begged, I bribed, I pleaded and cried. I manipulated anything I thought that would work, I tried. I packed his bags. And then I packed my bags, and then I unpacked both of our bags. Um, All of this was just a cycle that left me absolutely exhausted. I was exhausted, and I didn't know what to do. But notice I did all those things. Because my self-worth was wrapped up in his good behavior, I needed our lives to look the way I wanted at any cost. All of this fixing left me exhausted, bitter, and angry. I was angry at him for not doing the things that I wanted him to. I was mad at God because God didn't change him the way I wanted him to. And y'all, I was angry at myself for somehow not being strong enough to be able to fix him and control the things in our house. I believed that I had to be strong because that's what a good little Christian girl should do. The instability in our home, coupled with my need to control, was destroying me physically, emotionally, and spiritually. There are days when I would get in the car and I would drive home and I thought it would be so much easier just to drive into oncoming traffic because I wanted the chaos inside of me and around me to end at any cost. So at the suggestion of friends, I found myself in a biblically-based 12-step recovery program, Regeneration. And for a few weeks, all I could really do is sit in here and cry. Um, If I did share, it was only of my husband's most recent destructive exploits. And so it was really hard for me to understand the women who were sitting around me who were sharing vulnerable things, deepest parts of their soul. I didn't understand how that could be. While I was in group, I heard a phrase for the first time that would change everything. The phrase was, Laura, draw the circle around yourself and deal with the person inside that circle. Y'all, that was me. And that was my problem. That was my biggest struggle is I came to recovery to figure out how to get strong enough and healthy enough that I could go home and I could change and fix my husband. The longer I was in recovery, I realized it wasn't my job to change him, and I couldn't. It was time for me to stop trying to manipulate my husband into being all the things that I wanted him to be and rather allow Christ to start changing my own heart. So in my first round in recovery, I was able to start the process of identifying some of the emotions and some of the feelings that were wrestling in my heart. Pride, control, and bitterness were my top three. 
While I was able to identify the hurts and the habits, it wasn't until my second time through the 12 steps, y'all, I called it my victory lap. My second time through the 12 steps in a closed group that I was able to address the real root of my emotions and my expectations. Step four in inventory, it shed some light on how this good little Christian girl ended up right where she did. Now I grew up in a loving home with a mom, dad, and a brother. God was very important in our house, but I could never figure out just how good enough was good enough for God. I decided at an early age that I simply just had to be as good as possible so that way I could earn God's approval. And this rolled directly into my other relationships, especially at home. I desperately wanted my father's approval and my mom's attention, and I wanted to be validated by anyone or everyone in some way that they would tell me that I was good enough. Now, while I was working on my recovery, I learned that this is called codependency. No matter how hard I tried, I never felt smart enough, pretty enough, or good enough to be validated in the soul-satisfying ways that I really craved. I became a Christian as a young teenager, and I came to understand that God created us to have a relationship with Him. Sin prevents us from having a relationship with God, and because it's impossible for us to be perfect, I couldn't restore the relationship on my own. Romans 3.23 says, For God... Uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because God loves us so much, he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to pay the cost for our sins, a cost that I can never pay and we can never pay. Not only did Jesus die in our place to pay the price for our sin, but he rose again three days later. And by accepting that Jesus died in my place, by acknowledging that he was resurrected to life again and confessing my belief in him, I have a free gift of salvation, a free gift, a restored relationship with God. So the truth was, I never had to be good enough to be good enough for God because I couldn't even if I tried. And the book of Ephesians, they remind us gently in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that it is grace. For grace you have been saved. It is a gift of God, y'all. It is through faith. It's not from ourselves. It's not by works so that no one can boast. I don't have to be good enough, and neither do you. Now, as the months and years rolled on, I lost sight of that free gift of salvation. And sadly, as an adult, I continued to live my life like I found my value in anything and really everything except for God. Now, to be clear, I still was a good person, right? So I went to church, I did nice things, I volunteered in the community. I, I did all these things. But let's be clear, I did these things because I wanted God to approve my choices and my actions. It became an idol for me. Now, idolatry is when we put anything besides God as the most important part of our lives. I did all these things to earn God's favor. The inventory process helped me recognize this pattern. I've been looking for people to validate me, things to satisfy me, and ways to manipulate my circumstances so that way I could control how other people perceived me. I really needed to own this behavior because it's the center of my circle. And during closed group, God was teaching me about my own part in our marriage problems. It would have been really easy for me to say, my husband is the addict, it's his fault, this is his problem. 
but God faithfully was revealing my own heart of codependency and how that was playing a role in our marriage problems. I was chasing all the wrong things, and it set me on a path that, um, you know what? When I didn't get the way I wanted, when life didn't look the way I wanted, y'all, I fell apart. I was not okay, and I needed to own my part of this mess. Okay, now I know all of this. Now what do we do? One of the biggest hurdles to my recovery was step eight, forgiveness. While I was ready to admit my part in the the mess and the hurt in our marriage, I was not willing to let go of the hurt that had been caused and was continuing to happen in our relationship. I felt that if I forgave him, he would in some way be getting away with it. And at that time, I even had friends who told me that I deserved to be angry. And because there were things that were going on in our marriage that weren't okay, maybe I do deserve to be angry. But can I be honest? Every time I lived in that, all it did is it cost me. It cost me bitterness, it cost me anxiety, and it cost me depression. And you know what my unforgiveness cost my husband? Nothing. It didn't cost him a thing. Unforgiveness was wearing away at me. During step eight, I was reminded that I'm not without blame in our relationship. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While I was still bitter and angry, unforgiving, and just all around hurt and sinful, Christ forgave me, forgave Laura had nothing to do with my husband. It had everything to do with me. And so the crazy part of that is I'm called to forgive my husband in the same way that Christ forgave me, which is repeatedly and without condition. Colossians 3.13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another if anyone has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I had to forgive my husband, knowing full well that probably nothing would change at home. Y'all, that sounds crazy. Why would I forgive him if nothing was going to change? Well, in step eight, week one, God tenderly helped me process this idea. I read through a list of what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling that would magically appear one day. Forgiveness is not excusing sin, and forgiveness is not unearned trust. Rather, forgiveness is acknowledging the sin and the hurt and releasing my hurt and grief over to God, transferring my claims to justice and vengeance vengeance over to God, and surrendering my right to dwell upon or use that offense against him. Forgiveness is letting go and resting in the freedom that comes from allowing God to be the judge and jury instead of me. Y'all, this was hard. It's a process. Every part of me wanted to hold on to my forgiveness, my unforgiveness, because it was my shield. I felt safer. I felt vindicated if I held on to it. I, it was wearing me out, though. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't chase him anymore. I had to let it go. I had to choose to get off this crazy cycle. So it wasn't going to be a one and done sort of thing, but I chose to forgive, and repeatedly. Sometimes it was face-to-face. Sometimes it was a conversation just between me and God. But every time that I chose to forgive, it became a little bit easier. 
And a crazy thing happened when I started to do this. I didn't have to try to punish my husband anymore. I didn't feel like I had to try to catch him or guilt him or manipulate him anymore. I didn't need to keep a record of all the ways that he had hurt me. I used to think that forgiveness would mean that he would somehow get away with it. But in reality, forgiveness feels a whole lot more like my freedom. 1 Peter 3, verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Y'all, forgiveness isn't about the other person. Forgiveness is about us. It's about relinquishing our rights and gaining the freedom that comes from trusting God. Not the white knuckled through gritted teeth trust, but complete relief and rest that comes through surrender. Now, I'm sure that someone listening tonight is currently living with someone who is unrepentant or making destructive choices. And I desperately want you to hear this. You can and should still maintain healthy boundaries in your relationships, whether that's with a spouse, a child, or a relative. Forgiveness and love, they're unconditional, but trust is earned. Forgiveness does not mean that you put yourself in harm's way, and it does not mean that you enable and continue to enable others' sinful and destructive choices. This is where having people walk alongside us is so important. I had faithful Christian friends, family, and a church who came alongside me, who counseled me, who helped me set loving but hard boundaries. This was probably the hardest thing that I have ever done, but I did it, and I was able to do it because God provided people to walk along with me. My recovery has been a process. Even with amazing community and supportive family and really a renewed knowledge of who I am in Christ, it can still be a bumpy ride. Divorce is never God's best, but it is a part of my story. After my divorce in 2016, I was devastated. I was ashamed. I believed that I had failed my family's expectations, that I had failed to meet God's standards. The words, God hates divorce, in Malachi 2.16, they rang loud in my ears. I felt like damaged goods, and I thought that surely God must hate me too. Using the tools that I had learned in regeneration, I sought out Christian friends who faithfully reminded me of God's truth. God does hate divorce. God hates all brokenness and sin, but he loves broken people. Yes, even divorced people like me. And I needed to remind myself of that, but at the same time, acknowledge the grief and the hurt. Remind myself of what is true, but acknowledge the pain. I cannot earn God's love. And on the other side of that, I also can't do anything to diminish his grace either. There's no sin, no choice we make, no circumstance we find ourselves in that disqualifies us from the grace of God if we choose to repent. Over time, I can gladly say from the bottom of my heart that God has mended so much through his word and through his people. Places like Ecclesiastes 3.11 tell us he has made everything beautiful in its time. I came to a recovery program because I wanted to change my circumstances in my marriage. Truth. 
I was seeking a marriage and others to fulfill my needs. And now I take time to remind myself that God has redeemed me and he is the one relationship that defines my value. My favorite is Isaiah 54, five. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The God of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And I still believe that God is strong enough to change or fix anything, any way he pleases. But currently, my circumstances have not changed. Today, my life looks nothing like I wanted it to be. I wanted a marriage, a family, a house with a picket fence, and a minivan. I would look good driving a minivan. I could do that. But today, I don't have those things. I'm divorced without kids. My ex-husband is far away, and there isn't a picket fence in my imminent future. But despite all that, I can say something today with complete confidence that I could never say before. Today, I am completely satisfied. I came to recovery to change my circumstances, but instead God changed me. Currently, I have the privilege of being single, and I am choosing to live out what Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 7, which says that if a wife separates from her husband, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. If that statement makes you want to run out of the room, me too. Two years has been a wrestling process with friends who've prayed and wept and cried and encouraged. But you know, God has showed up in every step of the way. He's writing my story in ways that I would not have chosen for myself. There's no picket fence, or at least not as I would have it. But I can say with every part of my being that I am experiencing more joy and more peace today than I could have ever dreamed. No more white-knuckled trust. No, only surrender to the God who is for me and not against me. The God who knows that the hard road is the better road, the one who offers true freedom. This is how God is changing me. Now, if I'm really honest, that's what we do here, right? If I'm really honest, there are still days when I long for the things that don't satisfy there are days when I cry over the hopes and dreams that were lost, that futures that could have been or should have been. There are days when I want to be validated at work. There are days when I long to be affirmed in a relationship. And for a fleeting moment, I can believe that those things are going to satisfy my heart. But I, don't, I know that they're not going to satisfy them in the ways that are long-term or lasting not in the ways that matter. I don't know what my future will hold, whether that's a restored relationship with my former husband or a life of singleness serving Christ. I don't know if, it'll, if I will ever have the things that I had hoped for. But y'all, I believe in a God who raises the dead to life again. I believe that he is capable of wild and wonderful things. And I know that he has proven himself to be enough for today because I've seen it and experienced it. And that's going to be enough for me. My name is Laura, and I have a new life in Christ. And I am so thankful that God met me in the middle of my broken circumstances and gently reminded me that I'm not enough because I have seen and experienced that Christ is the only one who is enough to satisfy 
to really satisfy all of my longings and heal all of my hurts. Because he is enough, I have everything that I need. If tonight is your first night, I'm so glad you're here. You were right where you were supposed to be, just like Terry said. And no matter where you have been or what your circumstances are right now, tonight, my prayer is that you find freedom in the truth that God sees you. Not in the I got you way, but that he sees you and knows you, that he knows your brokenness and he says, I am enough. I'm enough for where you are. So y'all, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are El Roy, the God who sees me in the middle of my mess. May tonight be the beginning of something new in our lives as we seek to understand you better. Tonight, would you remind us that you are the only place where satisfaction in life are found. You see us in our need. Help us to lay down our hurts, our desires for justice, or our needs to be fulfilled by anything but you. Help us to trust you no matter our circumstances. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.